This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thanks so much for being here today. All right. Today on the show, Chanel Price is my guest. Chanel is a retired 800-meter runner. She ran professionally for Nike. She won the 2014 World Indoor Championships in the 800. Chanel is also a three-time gold medalist in the 4x800 at the World Athletics Championships. She's a 158, 800-meter runner. She ran for the University of Tennessee, and she was a standout phenom of an athlete in high school. And in this episode, we talk about that, how that played into her life as a collegiate athlete and professionally as well. You know, she entered college as the Gatorade Athlete of the Year coming out of high school. So a lot to unpack there. Uh, One of the most valuable things in this episode is Chanel's message that your running, your career, the things you do don't define who you are. And we talk about her faith and her belief in that a lot in this episode. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do too. Hey, I want to invite you down to Jacksonville, Florida with me this February. So Sunday, February 4th is the Donna Marathon weekend, and they have a half marathon and a marathon. And this is the National Marathon to Finish Breast Cancer. They support families walking through a diagnosis as well as groundbreaking research. I go to this race every single year, and it is on the beautiful beaches of Jacksonville, Florida. It is truly an amazing weekend. I'm going to be there. I'm actually going to be at the Olympic Trials Marathon in Orlando, and then I'm going to drive over to Jacksonville and run the half on Sunday morning. That's Sunday, February 4th. If you are new-ish to running, uh, this is a great half marathon if you want to set that goal to join. It is casual. It's not super crazy competitive, full of fun, love, and hope. Go to breastcancermarathon.com. Use the code Lindsay10 for 10% off your order. Seriously, it's the best weekend. I can't wait. Today on the show, we have Chanel Price joining us. Welcome to the show, Chanel. Oh, thank you for having me. Excited to have you, fellow North Carolinian. Is that how we, is that what we say, North Carolinian? I think so. <laughs> Sounds good. The people that are actually from North Carolina and have lived here for a long time are like, no, you, you don't yeah, know. They're you probably know cringing, that. like, no, that's not it. <laughs> Uh, so fun though. You recently moved to Charlotte. I recently ish moved to Raleigh. What brought you and your husband now husband Akeem to Charlotte? Yeah. So we got married last September, um, and we both worked from home. And so when time came for us to pick a place to live after the wedding, we made a list and felt like we were led to Charlotte. So we've been there for over a year now and Um, It seems like we've made the right decision. Oh, I love it. So we, when we first moved here, we went to Charlotte right away and we went to the Whitewater Center. Have you been there yet? Everyone keeps telling us we need to go. So yeah, do you agree? Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, we took all of our kids and our younger two were probably a little too young to like fully 
enjoy the experience for all of us because the activities like there's like a rock wall that then you can jump into the water and they were too little for that and but they have like really cool ropes courses and whitewater rafting and um yeah I mean you got to do it for sure especially if you live there (laughs) yeah absolutely I think the most fun we've been having is just trying different restaurants and being foodies because Charlotte has some good food oh yeah I've heard I know the one thing about Raleigh that I'm like we are missing is like the, um, the pro sports scene. Like we don't have, um, a pro football team here, which I feel like it's always so fun when you're, you live in a city with like a pro team. Um, Mm -hmm. and Durham has really good food scene, but I will say, I don't think Raleigh's food scene is that great. People listening from Raleigh might, (laughs) they might like, not like that. I said that though, but anyway, yeah, fun. So tell us what you're doing for work right now. I know that you're in your hometown right now. You've been doing um, some stuff with St. Luke's. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I've been partnered with St. Luke's even when I was running, I, I partnered with them. Um, I, my last few years, I did not have a shoe sponsor and this opportunity with St. Luke's to be an ambassador um, in the community to promote a healthy lifestyle um, in my hometown that came towards the end of my career. Um, And so my last two years running, they were pretty much my sponsor. (laughs) And now that I'm retired, um, we've continued the partnership, which which has been awesome because I've been able to do even more than I was doing when I was actually (laughs) training. You know, I'm able to come to my hometown a lot more and do events and make appearances. And so um, I am partnered with St. Luke's as what's called a community ambassador, but I do have, you know, a nine to five. Um, <laughs> I'm on uh, the operations team for a private firm called Curta. Um, and that kind of happened, I, for lack of better words, randomly. Um, when I retired, um, my best friend, she was living in Alabama and Akeem and I were long distance at the time. So I was going to move home anyway with my parents until after Akeem and I got married and moved in together. And so she, we talked and she's like, why don't you move to Alabama with me until you get married? We haven't been able to spend time together since, you know, when we were in college, which was, feels like forever ago. So I was like, she had just bought a house and I talked to Akeem about it. He's like, yeah, go, go Aww. move in with her. And she's like, I, uh, I talked to the, she works at, at the time she was working at UAB. And she's like, I talked to the track coach here and he said, you could be the director of operations if you want for the women's track team. And I was like, okay, you planned my life for me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, this was literally like, I decided to retire and I landed home from racing in Europe and she left me a voicemail. Like, I, I got you the job as the director of operations at UAB if you want it. And I'm like, okay, you know, so it all just kind of fell into place for me. I moved to Alabama with her. We had a blast in Birmingham and I was the director of operations for a year which was great. I loved operations. It fit my personality, just kind of like get things done. Mm -hmm. But I didn't like the travel, like, Mm -hmm. because I had to travel with the track team to every meet. And I was like, I've done this for so long. (laughs) Like, I don't want to do this. But I'm glad I took the position because I learned that I did really enjoy operations. And so that's how um, I landed in another operations position, but just with the private firm. So very, very little traveling. So, yeah. Oh, wow. You didn't know. You didn't know that that job was going to lead you to this job. And you would actually like it. Yeah. No, not at all. So shout out to my best friend. Yeah. Who is it? What's her name? Her name's Ashley Harris. We were um, matched up as roommates freshman year at the University of Tennessee. So didn't know each other, but 
shout out to whoever does the roommate process because we've been best friends ever since and that was 2008 oh was she on the track team too (laughs) yeah she was a sprinter Mm -hmm. oh my gosh i that would have been like i never did the roommate match thing but i would i would have been terrified I know. Yeah. But we talked on the phone before and I was like, yeah, this is going to work. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And now she's in Atlanta. She's not in Alabama anymore. And Charlotte and Atlanta are not very they're, far. Yeah. So. They're not too bad. What is it like five mm-hmm. hours? Yeah. Like three and a half. Four. Oh, even closer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cause Charlotte, mm-hmm. you're more in, I'm a little bit mm-hmm. closer to the coast there. Um, let's start with how you're feeling right now. Like what ha- you're a little bit removed now. You've been doing this for a little while. Mm-hmm. How, how are your feelings on life as a retired professional athlete? Yeah. Yeah. It's been about two years since I decided to walk away and I'm feeling good. Like I was just, I just reached a point in the sport where I was just tired, not so much physically. I think if it was just a physical sport, I could go forever, but the mental and emotional just stuff that I had to deal with throughout my career I think it just caught up to me and I just didn't have that desire to to do it anymore if I'm honest so um I'm feeling good I think I do not miss the the day-to-day life of a professional runner Mm -hmm. you know it's a lot of people don't talk about just (laughs) how hard it is you know just and it it was it was amazing I'm not saying that uh, I loved it for the time being but I I, I can't say I really miss that day-to-day grind of pushing myself and being away from my family and missing baby showers and weddings and you know just all the stuff you miss out on I'm able to go to those things now and 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 live with my best friend for a year like you know it's just and and, um be with Akeem now so it's I would say the one thing I do miss, there's no other feeling like um, crushing a really hard workout or mm-hmm. having an amazing race, like that fulfillment piece. Sometimes I think um, I get a little sad about, cause like I said, there, there's very few feelings that match that, <laughs> but I'm just working on um, trying to find that in other ways, mm-hmm. so. What is your like working out look like these days? <laughs> if it was up to me, it would be like never, but Akeem is not having that. So <laughs> um, we do uh, make an effort to to get something in like five days out of the okay. week. And it's very rarely is it running. Um, we'll do the weight room or we'll do band workouts or kettlebell workouts. He's gotten really creative with um He's kind of like my personal coach now with with the working out. So, yeah, we do try to get some physical fitness in. Um, He always just stresses to me how important that is for mental health and just longevity. So um, we we are getting work and it's fun to do it with him. You know, that competitive nature does come out. And Uh on the rare. Yeah. On the rare occasion that we do run, um, if it's a sprint session, you know, he's killing it. But if it's mileage, like I'm taking it to him. So <laughs> it's been fun having him to to push me in that area. Because like I said, I, I just didn't have that desire to, to push myself anymore. Yeah, I can't imagine what that like middle ground looks like for someone who competed at the highest levels, like an all or nothing approach. Like, OK, I was all in for so many years of my life. We know that obviously like not doing anything can only last for so long. Right. But then how do you find that drive to be like average, mediocre when you're like, you're not like trying to win medals or make teams like how, what motivates you? Yeah. And it's so, it's so true. You hit it right on the nail. And I, I, 
I always joke with him, like the amount of work we put in over the decades, that should be enough <laughs> for, <laughs> for a lifetime. And he's like, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah. You still have to, you, you know, make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but no, I think um, having each other to, to hold each other accountable has been really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about both being retired professional athletes. You know, like when you have something that you've been doing your entire life and you, you let go of it and you mourn that you go through the grief and then you, you know, now you're two years removed. What's that like being married to someone who's also walked through that process? Yeah, it's really helpful. And I think, um, when I am feeling those feelings that I mentioned earlier of like, just, Oh, I, I kind of want that. I, I don't even know what to call it, but that just, I achieved something so amazing today in that workout that I didn't think I could do, or I crushed this race. Like, how do I, and I talked through this with Akeem and he's like, you know, um, when we do clinics with the kids, that same feeling comes back. Mm. It's not, it's not you personally tackling the the hard workout or, you know, but when we see the kids do it, we're just as happy or even more happy, you know? So he's like, there, um, he just reminds me that there, uh, there are other things in your life that, that bring that same feeling. Mm. Okay. So one of the main things I wanted to talk to you about today, we'll just get right to it now. I'm like, don't save the best for last <laughs> is that message and that value you bring to these young athletes who are stars, who are achieving wild goals at a very young age, these high school phenoms, you have like walked through all the pressures of that, of succeeding at a really high level and then maybe not succeeding and not getting where you thought you were going to be, but then getting where you thought you were going to be <laughs> and then falling down, you know, like the, the ebbs and the flows of all this. And I would just love to hear you speak on what you think these young athletes need to be successful, like mentally, spiritually throughout this time in their life. That's such a good question. And I think back to, you know, 15, 16, 17 year old Chanel, who, like you said, was a phenom, was achieving unheard of things at the time in the 800 meter. And I think back to what I needed And I needed someone to sit me down and, and help me realize that, yes, what I've achieving, what I've been achieving, it's amazing. And to be proud of it and to, um, to, you know, celebrate it and celebrate yourself, but just remember and, 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 and understand that what what you are doing is not who you are. And for someone to really walk me through that, like, I I feel like if someone would have said that to me, I would have been been like, what do you mean? But to really sit me down and, and help me understand that your, your self-worth and your identity is not tied to these amazing things that you are achieving. You're like, you, you are, you are amazing. You are the bomb, whether you ever run another step in your life. Mm -hmm. And that's what I needed to hear. Like you, you are not defined by, your performance, you're, you are amazing because that's who God says you are, you know? And so um, I think that's the message that I want to get across to everyone, you know, (laughs) just, it doesn't even have to be athletes. Like just, I feel like everyone can find their identity and, and what they do. um, And people helping people understand that what you do is awesome, but it's not who you are. 
Mm, yeah, it's so important. And I think that oftentimes parents and even coaches, we get in this like hamster wheel because we we see a kid succeed or we see someone and we want to do everything we can to support them to reach those goals. And we have the best of intentions. And sometimes we forget to share that message with, with the kids, you know, and also, um, teenage teenagers, like they're hard to get through to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. Sometimes you're hearing it and you still can't, you still can't see it. Like you still obsess. And I mean, people have this on through adulthood as well. What was the shift for you? Like, how did you come through knowing like, ultimately, like, that's not what my identity was? That's so good. I like how you say like, cause I don't really know if teenage Chanel would have accepted that message mm-hmm. at the time. Um, I think maybe if I would have received that and then gone off to Tennessee and struggled like I did, maybe I could have pulled that message from my memory and said, Oh, I do remember someone telling me that I don't have to, (laughs) I don't have to be so hard on myself, you know? Um, But yeah, I think the, the aha moment for me was um, a little bit after college when I was trying to turn pro and, and, and trying to find my groove again, and it just wasn't happening. And I got so low that I actually wanted to take my life. And so that's when it was like, I need help. Like, I really need some help. And so that's when a, a spiritual counselor kind of explained took, explained the message to me that I just said to you a little bit ago about identity and separating what I do from who I am and who God says I am. And that was just mind blowing for me. It was very freeing. It was like, I found the joy in running again because I didn't the, the drive was still there. I'm going to work my butt off. That's just how I am naturally. It doesn't mean I don't care, but it just means the outcome of these races don't define me. And just a simple message like that was like, oh, wow, <laughs> it doesn't, you know, I just go out there and do my best. And if I, if I lose, yes, I can be upset, but it doesn't get to the point where I want to take my life. Like that's just a whole nother level of upset. You know, that's not healthy. And so when I started working with the spiritual counselor and what working on my faith, um, I want to say a year later, I was indoor world champion. So mm-hmm. physically everything was the same. So that that mental switch definitely, wow. <laughs> you know, something happened. It was wow. clear to everyone who had been following my career, like something's different about her. She's back to, wow. to who we saw in high school. Yeah. Who was that first person you told when you had those scary feelings of taking your life? Yeah, that was back in 2013. It was actually at the USA Track and Field Championships um, where I was in my hotel room and I, I oh. ran poorly and I just was like, I I don't want to be, I don't want to be alive anymore. I don't want to feel whatever this mm. is that I'm feeling anymore. Every time I have a bad practice or every time I have a bad race, I go into this dark, dark place and um, just got so hard. And so I, when you go to these USA Championships, there's always a chaplain there for athletes to pray with or just talk to or uh, read the Bible with. And I wasn't um, a devout Christian at the time, but I knew that this person existed. And so I reached out to her. Her name's Jody, and she's still like my mentor to this day, 10 years later. Um, and she has, I sent her an email. I just, it was dark. And I think she still has the email. She uses it in some of her presentations mm-hmm. to athletes. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty dark email, but overall it said like, I need some help. Can you help me? And 
she answered right away. And we met at the track the next day. And that first day she just sat with me and just, we got to know each other. But then from then on, she took me under her wing and we would meet via Zoom. And she would just kind of walk me through identity as an athlete and as a believer. And what does that look like? Mm -hmm. I wonder how you knew, like, I have to reach out to someone. Mm. Like, I, I can't do this on my own anymore. And thank God you did. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it's uh, people, I don't mean to like creep people out when I say this, but I I really did hear this voice in my head that just kind of said, if you chase after me, like you chase after track, just watch what I do in your life. Mm -hmm. And I I can only equate that to God. Like I, I don't like, I just like, I don't, it wasn't me. It wasn't, there was no one else in the room in that dark hotel room when I didn't want to live anymore. So whenever I tell my story, I'm like, that was God speaking to me. Like, I don't know what chasing after him looks like, but I'm, I have no choice but to learn or else the other alternative is to not be here anymore. So that's what Jody helped me, has helped me through do these last 10 years. Like, what does it look like to truly have a relationship with God and to put him first? And then, you know, instead of track being your God per se and track defining you, what does it look like to have God define you? Yeah, you know, the world is changing so, so much. And I actually feel like it's like unpopular right now to be a Christian. Um, Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And I think it's so cool that they have these chaplains with these teams because I'm guessing, regardless of what your um, religious belief was, that woman would have been there for you no matter what. Like, oh, absolutely. Like, even if that's not what you were seeking, like, just because mental health is so important and so big at this stage of life and competing at this big level, like, wow, that's so important that they have someone there to be a support, like, emotionally, spiritually. Yeah. And I was open to learning about Christianity, but if she may have encountered someone who wasn't, then she, I know for sure she would have gotten them into the hands of what they needed, mm. whether that's a sports psychologist or a therapist, like she wasn't going to push that on me. I yeah. was just very open to that. And so, but yeah, I think, um, I think anyone can, can relate to not identifying with what you do, whether you're a Christian or not. Yeah. This podcast is supported by Purina Pro Plan Sport. I know a lot of listeners here like to run with their dogs, have dogs, and there's so much joy you get out of running together. And it all starts with Purina Pro Plan Sport. This is a dog food formulated to fuel your dog's adventures. Pro Plan Sport gives your dog the strength and stamina they need to take on your extraordinary life together. Go to ProPlansport.com to find the right sport formula for your dog. ProPlansport.com. All right, back to the show. What did your um, upbringing with religion look like? Um, Didn't really know God growing up, wasn't really um, talked about in the household. I wouldn't say we were atheists or anything. It just just wasn't talked about. Yeah, yeah, but my best friend growing up, we were on the track team together in high school. Both of her parents were pastors. Okay. And so th- there were things like they would 
they just couldn't help. That's who they, you know, it's kind of like they can't help to mention God when I'm in their presence. So the seeds were being planted as okay. I was growing up. And then at the University of Tennessee, my coach, J.J. Clark, he's a he's a Christian man as well. So again, he didn't force it on me, but he knew I was struggling and mm. would would try to plant those seeds as well. And then my best friend, Ashley, my roommate in college, she's a Christian. So she was planting seeds as well. And then Akeem, he, so it's just kind of like throughout my life, there's been people who have been planting those seeds. Yeah. yeah. Where were you in your faith journey when you met Akeem? Um, good story. So in 2013, um, when I decided to meet with Jody and give my life to Christ and start this faith walk, um, that was in 2013. And then 2014, I won Indoor Worlds. But then later that year, I broke my foot. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2014. And so very new to Christianity. So I was just kind of like, well, is God mad at me? Like, why am I going <laughs> through trials? Like, I just didn't really understand it. Like, again, a, a baby in my faith. So I just didn't understand that trials come with being a Christian. I thought it was just kind of going to be, I'm going to win worlds and I'm going to win the Olympics. <laughs> you know, it's just very naive. <laughs> and so um, in 2014, when I broke my foot, I, I strayed away. I was just kind of like, well, what's the point of being like all in with God if I'm still going to face hard times? That was kind of my mindset at the time. And so 2015, 2016, I had one foot rocking with God, but one foot kind of like, I don't, I don't want to be all in. I don't want to get hurt again. I don't Uh want him to let me down again, that kind of mindset. And then in 2017, when I met Akeem, he's like all in like with his faith and he's just kind of like, kind of called me out. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, you know, and so, and I met him at a really, really hard time. I had just been diagnosed with pulmonary embolism. Wow. And so I feel like I met Akeem at just the right time to kind of help me understand that, look, just because you're a Christian does not mean that you are not going to have hard times. You know, it, the Bible even says, like, tells you, you will. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I met Akeem at the perfect time because mm. It was just kind of one thing after the other for years, um, and and he has just, he was just with me through every single thing. So, you know, I interviewed him. I think when you you all were engaged. Okay. <laughs> what what is that like being married to someone who's like motivational speaker? And and I know you do speaking too, but like I feel like he's like the king of the motivational speaking stuff. Yes, yes, I think. And even throughout our dating, right, because we started dating like late 2017. um, And like I said, it was just kind of one thing after another with injuries and health issues. And sometimes I just needed a listening ear or Mm. I just needed to vent. And so I would have to tell him, like, I don't need motivational speaker Akeem right now. I just need boyfriend Akeem to listen and just tell me everything is going to be all right. But like, I don't need the the motivational, but it's hard for him. That's who he is at his core. So it's hard for him to turn that off. And as we've, you know, as the years have gone on, I've just learned to appreciate it. But in the beginning, I'd be so annoyed. Like, I don't need that right now. Uh Uh Yeah. You know, it's like with my husband, my my husband is not a motivational speaker kind of guy at all, but he's a fixer. Right. So like Uh he always, he always wants to fix things. And like, sometimes that is really nice. Like last night, one of my kids kind of broke my computer cord And he came up with a solution. And I'm like, thank God I married a fixer. But sometimes I'm like, I really just want to complain right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Can you just listen to the complaint? I don't need an answer. Just just need to spit it all out. 
<laughs> and so Akima started he started to ask me like do you want me to just listen uh, or do you want me to tell you like how I would fix this exactly what you just said so uh-huh. I appreciate that yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah he interviews some cool people if anybody listening hasn't listened he has what's his podcast called um underdog akh is his uh instagram handle uh-huh. and he's his um podcast you can find them with that same handle yeah, it, yeah. okay mm-hmm. awesome yeah mm-hmm. all right so you mentioned your coach jj who was your coach in college and then coached you later as well mm-hmm. talk about like the coach athlete relationship throughout your career yeah yeah definitely so um jj man yeah he it was kind of like a no-brainer for me to go to Tennessee because at the time I had run 201 as a high schooler and very few college girls were running that except for JJ's girls and I was like Mm. okay like I want to be coached by this man I want him to take me to under two minutes I want him to make me NCAA champion like and so it was no-brainer University of Tennessee I'm going there and um, I've been very open about my struggles with pressure and just not just not really living up to the expectations that I or anyone else had for me in college. Um, And, but JJ, he was just always there, always patient. You know, I was supposed to, according to everyone and even myself, I was supposed to come in and be NCAA champion my freshman year under JJ Clark there. There's no reason why I shouldn't have been, but I was never NCAA champion in my four years. And he, it would have been, I think, easy for a college coach to just kind of disregard me and and move on to the next person that he could help become NCAA champion but he never did he never made me feel bad for kind of not living up to the hype um he was just always there wiping my tears telling me it's going to be okay telling me not to be so hard on myself so just a great coach but an even better man Mm -hmm. just an amazing man um just like I said just never never pushed me aside and went on to the next star. He was just, I was, I was, he was always there for me. Yeah. You know, going to college, coming out, being a high school phenom, it's like, wow, those expectations on your shoulders. How did you handle the disappointments? I mean, you were second in NCAAs twice, right? Third. Third. Okay. Yes. So you podiumed. (laughs) Yes. But like, did a podium did that feel good? Did that feel oh, still a disappointment? Not. It no. was such a, yeah. And, and look, that sounds crazy to say, but right. it just like, I was, my senior year of high school, I was Gatorade athlete of the year and they handed this award by Allison Felix and Candace mm-hmm. Parker. And, and, you know, it's just like, I was the top high school recruit coming for track and field like of in my the class. country. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Just named like you, and Gatorade Athlete of the Year, that's all sports. So you you are just named the best athlete in 2008 <laughs> of all big sports. Freaking yeah. Deal. yeah, they fly you out to Hollywood. You walk the red carpet. You're at the ESPYs. Like, it's just, it's a big deal. And I think I just let that, I let that define me. Like, mm-hmm. I am Chanel Price, the Gatorade Athlete of the Year. I'm going to go to Tennessee and live up to that. Nothing's going to get in my way. And um, for me, just... I did not know how to handle that pressure that I, that I, and I was really putting it on myself. I guess there were, of course, outside people were expecting me to run great as well, but it was really coming from myself. I, I, because my, I, because my self-worth was dependent on if I 
maintain this status as Chanel Price Gatorade Athlete of the Year. Nothing but being the absolute best was good enough. Like I, I, it's like I needed it. I, I, my soul needed it. I needed it at my core because that's the only way I felt good about myself was if I was number one. And unless I was dominating and winning, it's the only way I really felt worthy for lack of better words. So mm. it was deep. It was, really? it was deep. Yeah. Yeah. And JJ, like he didn't even really understand. I would, I would come, like you said, I was, I would come in third and be like, devastating and it's just like to him he's like why are you so hard on yourself like it, no one my parents didn't get it no one really understood um why I was so hard on myself I didn't get it either I just knew that winning was was the only thing that made me feel good about myself mm, gosh that's so hard I want to talk about your parents a little bit because I love hearing about like the people who raised high achievers hard workers I'm like, as a parent, like you want to instill in your kids the value of hard work and it's hard, you know, <laughs> like, so I'm curious how much of this is innately Chanel. Mm. I saw I had a talent. I'm a hard worker. I like to see how far I can go and how much is this is your parents instilled that as a value in your life. Mm, that's so good. Yeah, I, I think growing up, I just saw my parents work so hard to provide for my older brother and I, like my mom is what well, she's retired now, but she was a parole officer for 25 years. It's not an easy job. <laughs> and uh, my dad was a Marine and then had a job with a company called Rico for many, many years. And they just worked so hard. They didn't even really have to say it to my brother and I, that hard work is important, but we just witnessed it. <laughs> We witnessed the sacrifice that they, um, and the hard work. And it, I think a little bit of it is innate, but a lot of it is, is what I witnessed growing up. Just my parents grinding to put clothes on our back and to put, put us in a nice home and to give us the life that we had. Um, so, and just for an example, like I went to Easton area in high, high school in Easton, Pennsylvania, but I trained many days out of the week with a club in Philadelphia and that is not close that's an hour and a half with oh, drive and so yeah after a long day at the prison as a parole officer my mom would get off of work and drive me an hour and a half so that I could <laughs> practice with this amazing coach in Philadelphia who was going to be able to get the best out of me um and then we were getting home at like probably 10 11 o'clock you know so that's just it's like my mom is doing a lot in order for me to be the best that I can be on the track. And so just things like that, where I, I think she never put pressure on me, but when I would think about that, I would put mm. more pressure on myself. Like my, my parents were doing so much for me to exceed. Like I have to do this. And, and never did that come out of their mouth. I just kind of felt that. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I would ever drive my kid an hour and a half to practice. Am I yeah. selfish? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, that is that is a huge sacrifice. That's a mm -hmm. big percent. I always think about like, what percentage of my life is this? Like, what percentage of my week is this? So you're driving yeah. an hour and a half. She's mm -hmm. sitting in the parking lot doing whatever, reading or hanging out, right. watching, and then driving back an hour and a half. I mean, that's a mm -hmm. lot of time. 
Right. Yeah. Not seeing her husband, not seeing her, my brother because yeah. they sleep when we get home, you know, and it wasn't every day of the week, but it was That's, a few days a week where even I was one day a week. There. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> a lot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. That's really cool. That is mm-hmm. really cool that, and then you take it to like it all unraveling and you realizing that like my identity isn't in what I do on the track. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of beautiful to see that whole picture play out, like from start to finish. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been, um, it's been a good story to reflect on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about the world championships when you became a world champion in the 800 meters and indoors. Uh, 2014. I remember reading Ajay Wilson's post when she become a, became a world champion and just giving, like, instead of just, like, celebrating herself, like, celebrating you, the first American woman to win that gold medal and that event indoors. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's just such a testament to, like, the sisterhood of the sport. And what did that mean to you when, when she wrote that? Oh, it brought, I brought tears to my eyes. I like texted her on the side, like, really, Ajay? Like, did you have to make me cry? But no, I was just so thankful. Her and I are pretty close. Like she was at my wedding and we've, we've remained close since we were on, I think maybe World Relays team together back in 2014. And we room, we were roommates. We were matched to be roommates there. And ever since then we've been close, but yeah, I just, I was not expecting that. Like you said, she could have very much made that post about her and I would not have, you know, it should, you just won worlds. But when she, when she tagged me and gave me my flowers, I was like, Mm. it's just a, a a beautiful thing to do, a very selfless thing to do. Um, And sometimes I kind of forget like, oh, I was the first American woman to to do that, you know? So it was a cool reminder. So, so cool. So going back to that year, we talked about your faith and how like your life really changed in that year. And you you, like took that pressure off your shoulders and leaned into your faith. And I'd love to hear just about that moment and that race. Yeah, absolutely. So that year in 2014, um, I was still training with JJ at the University of Tennessee. Of course, I wasn't in school anymore. I was, um, but still training with him. And I did not have a shoe sponsor um, and I did not want my parents supporting me financially. They had done enough. <laughs> so I decided to, to work and train um, and it was tough, but um, I was like, this was probably going to be my last year trying to, you know, earn a shoe sponsorship. I had done it in 2013. I tried. And now this was my second year trying since I graduated in 2012. And so um, I just remember it being a a tough year, just so busy with trying to work and train, but um, also like I was growing in my faith. And so I knew that like, like I, I was just, I had this newfound joy. And so I was just kind of taking every day for what it is and being more grateful. And just, so I was just pushing through chugging along. And when I went to USA championships that year, um, 
to try to make that world team. I knew Ajay was going to be my toughest competition, but two people make the team. So I was uh -huh. like, I just got to come in top two. But I just remember running that race and leading for 799 meters. And oh. Ajay, she literally got me at the line. Uh. You know, and I just looked at her like, really? <laughs> but we both made the team and we're in Poland and we're having a ball together. Um, and Wait, were you rooming together that time, too? They didn't room us together in Poland. Okay. No, okay. no. Um, and so I just remember, yeah, I was just again, I had found this newfound freedom and joy and running and just was so happy to be there. And um, the pressure was more so on Ajay. She was the bigger name. She had achieved so much already. So she had more of the pressure than I did. <laughs> you know, what I don't nice really though, know. Really, yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah, everyone, like, everyone would have bet a million dollars that Ajay was going to win the world championships. And I would just be lucky to make the final. That would be a good meet for me, right? So just kind of sliding under the radar. Um, and so when she didn't make the final and I did, it was just kind of like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like, Ajay, where are you? You know, but she, I just remember being in that final and on the line and looking up and her and her mom were just there, like just ready to cheer me on. That's just how she is. She could have easily stayed at the hotel upset. But no, she was my biggest cheerleader. Her mom was my biggest cheerleader. And I just remember talking to my coach the day before and he was like, he told me the game plan and he's like, if you run it this way, you will win. And I was like, okay, coach, you know, and I just took it out, took the lead. And it was kind of like a catch me if you can mentality. <laughs> and in indoors, it's hard to get around, mm. you know, people. So mm. I was kind of running wide in, in lane one. And if anyone wanted to go around me, then they would have to run wide too. So it was definitely all strategy and just trust in my coach. And if you look at any of the pictures of me crossing the line, I was just like, <laughs> just <laughs> I don't even know the word, just so uh. happy, so shocked. Um, and just tears coming down my eyes as I stood on the podium. Just, it was just kind of like, like, just wow. Like, uh, I'm so happy I, I, did, I didn't, one, take my life. And then two, that, you know, I haven't given up on this sport. Like, I can do this. I can, I can be one of the best meters runners in the world. And so it's wow. just kind of like a breakthrough moment for me. Those pictures are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I went and looked at them before the interview. It's like shock, shock, yeah. joy. Like, oh my gosh. So you were, you led the entire race. Yeah. Nobody ever. It. Yeah. No, I just led it. And, and it's funny because my parents couldn't watch it. They couldn't find a stream, but they could listen, but it wasn't in English. So they just kept hearing like da -da 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 -da, Chanel price, da -da 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 -da, Chanel price. Da -da -da. They did not know what was all. They just kept hearing my name. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, they were of course the first people I called. Hey everybody. Are you looking for a great protein powder? I have the best solution for you. The Neurofi Plus Vegan Protein Shake by Prevenex is so delicious. It is packed with vitamins and nutrients, 20 grams of vegan protein, 1 billion probiotics, digestive enzymes, BCAAs. It's gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, no preservatives, and no artificial flavors. This is the cleanest, healthiest, plant-based vegan shake around, made to the highest standards. Sometimes you just need a quick hit of protein after a workout or a run. You're moving from one thing to the next. You can shake this up with water, eat a banana, boom, you're getting it done. Right away, you're getting those nutrients back in your body. 
I also like making protein shakes for my kids with this protein powder as well. And they get a nutrient dense jam packed smoothie, including high protein, which is good because then they feel full longer. Uh, they also have a great joint supplement and multivitamin. Check out everything Prevenex has to offer at Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your order. Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your order. Back to the show. So would you say, like, you you win this world championship. You're, like, at the pinnacle of your career. And then how does that feel? Like then what are the emotions like? Okay, now what am I supposed to do? Right, right. Yeah. So shortly after that, I signed with Nike um, and was able to quit my jobs. (laughs) And um, I mean, I still was working, of course, with my, my, my spiritual mentor. And she's like, just because you're successful now doesn't mean we abandon everything that we've been Mm. working on mentally about your identity and not letting this newfound pressure get to you You have a contract now you have a title now like that what we got to channel that pressure in a healthy way pressure's okay but how are you going to channel it what are you going to say to yourself when you're on the line or at practice so still working with with her and uh, outdoor was going really really well I remember running the pin relays mile that year not really a miler, but I won the mile <laughs> relays. Yeah. Like hey. going, yeah. Going to my first diamond league race in Doha and I came second there. I think I broke two minutes for the first time maybe. So outdoor was going really well, but then I got injured mm-hmm. and that's when things kind of fell apart. <laughs> yeah. What is your message to people going through injuries in high points of their career? Yeah, I would say number one, like feel what you feel. Like it's okay. You're 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 a human being. You have emotions. Be upset. Be mad. Be sad. You know, grieve that. Grieve your season. It's over. You know, your season is might be over. Um, so grieve and feel those feelings, and then work with the people around you. Work with your circle to come up with a new plan. You know, and and that's what I always had to do. Like I, had, I needed a few days to just feel feel what I feel, and then talk to my coach, talk to the PT, talk to the nutritionist, talk to the psychologist. What's our What's our game plan now? Because that's just kind of like my my personality. Like I, I'm gonna buy into this new plan. And um, for for me, that was a lot. Usually for my injuries, that was a lot of cross training, like mm-hmm. pool and bike, and I mean. I would crush those. I would when Akeem would watch me cross train. He's like, "You're a maniac! Like you are seriously crazy." Because I'd just be dripping in sweat. I have my goal in my mind, and I'd just be, you know, I can't run, but I can do this. I can stay fit. I can stay fit because you can really stay fit. Cross training is what I've learned with my many, many injuries. Yeah, you can stay fit, and I and I would just kill it. And you can you can do more volume on on a bike or in a pool than, well, I could personally, than I could do running, you know? And so buy into that plan, take it one day at a time, try not to, and this is hard, try not to compare yourself to what other runners are doing, what your competitors are doing, get off social media if you had to, I had to, um, and just buy into your new plan as best mm-hmm. as you can and use your circle around you to keep you, keep you encouraged. You're so right about cross training. I, I was watching or listening to that interview with Parker Valby, yeah. who won the NCAA cross <laughs> yeah. championships. And she's like, people are underestimating what I'm doing. Like, I, yeah, like 
I am doing so much more than you realize cross training. Like I'm not just like hopping on the bike and like <laughs> cycling for 30 minutes easy No, yeah, on these that, days that I'm not yeah. running. That resistance is turned high. You're doing yeah. intervals. Your heart rate is at 180. Like you are getting after it. I just having PTSD from some of my cross training sessions because yeah, I, I would, I, I totally agree with her. That heart rate too on the bike and in the pool when you're like naturally more inclined to running, like it goes up so quick. Like yes, it's it does. yeah. It's tough. <laughs> You ran cross country though, which is I did. interesting. <laughs> I think for an intermediate runner, would you say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started in high school. My freshman year, I was like three miles. Absolutely not. Like, yeah. uh, I told the high school cross country, "I'm not. I don't. Why do I need to do that as an intermediate runner?" And so then by sophomore year, she just kept trying to get me to come out. Like, it'll it'll make if anything like mentally stronger. She's like, I can't prove that it'll do anything physically to help you in the eight, but mentally you will get, get stronger. And I was like, I talked to um, the track coach. He's like, if you want to do it to stay in shape, that's fine. But my competitive nature, it did. It was, it became more than just staying in shape. Like yeah. I, yeah. I actually was pretty good at it. So like so third yeah. in state. Yeah. Like that's a big yeah. deal. I shocked myself. I shocked the coach, you know, and, but it, it, it was a, it was so different than track and, and so like team teamy, like a, that team feeling. It was, it was a lot of fun. And then I went to Tennessee and JJ believed that his 800 meter runner should do it too. Um, And so we did it. Phoebe Wright and I were, usually pretty much holding hands every race, just trying Aww. to get each other through it. Phoebe, yeah. right. Do you keep in yeah. touch with her? Yeah. So Phoebe actually helped me get my current job. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. When I told her, when I posted on LinkedIn that I was looking for a job in operations in like the private sector, she reposted it with like this amazing Aww. paragraph about how anybody would be lucky to have me on their team. And so someone that she knew saw it and was like, oh, we're looking for someone. So oh my gosh. <laughs> if, if Phoebe says she's good, then then we'll we'll take her in. And so it all worked out. Oh, yeah. don't underestimate LinkedIn, everybody. No, seriously. <laughs> it is. I know. I feel like it is kind of the like ugly stepchild of the social media social world. Media. But like yeah. it's it's important. It's good. It is. It really is. I learned that through that experience. <laughs> yeah. Um what like what about cross country do did you enjoy that track didn't give you mm, that's so good um I think <laughs> it's kind of funny but when I would be running cross country I'd I get lost in my thoughts because it, mm. it felt like eternity to me yeah. and as a marathoner <laughs> you're probably like what three miles but it just felt so long and so I just had time to just think or sing a song in my head or repeat a quote in my head there's none there's no doing that in the 800 you know there's pretty there's people are like what do you think about I I don't think during the eight I just run so just this this feeling of just being out there and just being lost in my own thoughts was it was pretty cool and then again that that team aspect um it was and of course track in high school is a team sport but it cross country just felt like way more of a team sport. Totally. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. It's like, there's, there's something, I don't know. It's yeah. I remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not the same at all. Yeah. And I think for, at least for the first few years I was running, it was so new to me. And so, and so new to everyone else that was watching me that there wasn't much pressure expectation. So mm -hmm. I was just 
just kind of shocking myself and having fun. And so by my yeah. senior year, I started to feel a little bit of pressure, but for the most part, it was less stressful than track <laughs> for me. Maybe like with cross country, it's the the distance that you're putting in with these people on a regular basis. I don't know what it is, but there's a close knitness that comes with these teams that maybe some track teams get, but yeah, I totally know what you mean about that vibe. Yeah, it's different. It's, it's a really cool experience. And I'm actually still very close to my high school cross country coach. Really? So, yeah, yeah. She ran the uh, St. Luke's uh, marathon relay that I'm, that I'm in town oh. for. And so she, when I was at the finish line handing out the medals, I got to give her a hug and put on her medal and yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to pick the last leg of the relay and you better be at the finish line. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, so you really did like have just ongoing injury, the pulmonary embolism, Uh, mono, like you had like all these setbacks and I'm just wondering, like, how did you make peace with all that? Like all those Mm. things really getting in your way from doing what you really wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was hard. I'm not going to lie. It's like each setback kind of knocked me out just a little bit more. Like with with the pulmonary embolism, which was kind of like the burst, the first big thing that happened, a very big thing that happened. Yes, um, <laughs> I, I think I was just more grateful that mm. I was alive to, and so my mindset for that was because all like I had so many doctors. I had a hematologist, a cardiologist, a pulmonologist, and each wow. one of them was just explaining to me the severity of the situation. And because I don't think I really, besides passing out. And then waking up and being rushed to the hospital, I didn't, I felt fine. Like I didn't really have, so to me, it wasn't as serious. I'm just like, when can I run again? Like (laughs) it's a world championship year. And they're just like, whoa, you don't understand that you could have died. Like this kills people. And and to hear each doctor say that, I was like, okay, let me change my perspective. I'm lucky to be alive. When I run again, I run again. Like that one. So that, that experience, um, I, I, I had a mental perspective that was just grateful to still be here. And so um, when the mono came short, not shortly after that, but months after that, um, I kind of got through that because I felt like it was almost my fault. I came back from the pulmonary embolism way too quickly and apparently had something that's called reactivated mono. I have, I don't, apparently I had mono in the past and it stays dormant okay. in your body. And when you, when your body gets extremely stressed, it can reactivate. Had no idea, <laughs> but pretty much I pushed myself way too quickly after the pulmonary embolism and now had mono and had to sit out. So 2017, I ran a little bit, but it was pretty much a wash. Um, I think, but those two instances, I just was, I pushed through those. They weren't too hard to get through because again I just had this perspective like my health is important let me just get my health right and I'll be back but shortly after that when I broke my foot for the first time that's the one where I was just Mm. like is this a sign that I should just stop running you know like my whole 2017 was pretty much a wash now my whole 2018 is going to be a wash like what's going on like (laughs) you know so that one 
that injury was tough. Um, I think what got me through was just deep down inside knowing that I wasn't done yet. There was still, mm. I just felt deep down inside that I still had more left in these legs. And I, I just wanted to see how fast I could go. I just, yeah. So that's just that's what kept me going. I just desperately wanted to see what this body could do. So when I'd be on that bike or be in the pool, I just keep reminding myself like there's more in you just keep going there's more in you yeah so you ended up training out in Oregon yeah yeah I ended up training out in Oregon most of the like the the pulmonary embolism and the mono and the broken foot that happened in Phoenix Arizona Mm -hmm. where I met Akeem and we were both training with the same group um but yeah I did eventually move to Oregon right before the pandemic hit I joined Oregon Track Club Elite yeah so and what, how was that experience? Um, so after I had the, the Jones fracture, the broken foot in 28, late 2017, and then I broke it again in 2018. <laughs> um, and my 2018 was pretty much a wash as well. I, uh, contemplate, I just was thinking like I, I needed a change. There's nothing, I loved my Phoenix coach. Um, but I knew that if I was going to overcome this foot injury, like I needed the best of the best mm. to help me. And, um, Eugene, Oregon with Oregon track club, like from the coaching to the nutrition, to the psychology, to the PT, like they have the best of the best. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, um, when I talked to that coach and I explained to him my situation and he was, he's like, Oh, I hate taking on injured athletes. And I was like, I promise <laughs> if you could just help me get healthy, like I will, I will, you won't be disappointed. And so, um, yeah, I moved out there in 2019 and, uh, they did, they helped, they helped get me that foot back. Cause it was giving me some problems. So, yeah. um, yeah, so they helped they helped get me back healthy. And then of course COVID hit, but that's a different story. <laughs> Good Lord. COVID. I know anytime I listen back to interviews during that time, it's like every question is like, how are you transitioning to dealing with running with no races? And, yeah, yeah. Um, so you got fifth at the 2021 trials and man, talk about like the 800 meters has always been deep, but like it's deep. Yeah. the athletes that are trying to make these teams. How did that fifth place finish? I mean, two spots for making the team. How did that feel? Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, like the perspective was just slightly different because I almost didn't make it to the trials because yeah. I hurt my foot again, <laughs> same foot, third time fracturing it um, in November of 2020. And the mm-hmm. trials were the next July you're a runner, you know, that's not a lot of time, right? <laughs> you know, so to, to fracture it in November, and then I probably started running again, maybe January of 2021. Um, but not truly able to train until like March, April. It's just not a lot of time to get ready for the USA Olympic trials, 800 meter, like you just said, it's, you know, it's just so um, when I came fifth, I was I initially sad that I didn't make the team but that lasted maybe 10 minutes because it Mm. was like you just ran the fastest you've ever ran and you started 
training in like March. That's pretty yeah. impressive, Chanel. <laughs> so perspective switch, you know, I was just like, wow, you just did something really incredible. You should be really, wow. really proud of yourself. Yeah. So then, I mean, huge step, right? And then you retire not long <laughs> after. So tell me why. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the pulmonary embolism, the mono, the three foot fractures, it was just, it was a lot emotionally, mentally behind the scenes to, to get through each of those experiences. It was, it took a lot out of me. It took a lot of just fortitude and motivation to come back from each of those experiences. I almost did the third foot fracture um, before the trials. I almost did walk away. That one wow. was, <laughs> you know, and, and I remember talking to Akeem and he was like, I wouldn't even be upset with you if you did like, cause Aww. you know, he was with me through it all. And so he yeah. really, if, if anyone saw the, the ugly behind the scenes, it was him. And so he was wow. like, if you don't want to fight back after this one, you have every reason to hang up your spikes. And so I think um, after those trials and just thinking about, you know, do I really have it physically? I knew I had it, but do I have it mentally and emotionally to give to this sport that what's required to be, you know, um, one of the best andrometer runners in the world? And the answer was no, I just didn't have it anymore. I knew that I, the desire wasn't there to, to will myself and motivate myself anymore. And so I just had to be real with myself. Like I'm okay walking away after the best season of my life. Like I'm okay looking back and saying, wow, I ran 158 for the first time in the finals of the trials. And I came in fifth after what I had been through with injuries and health scares. Like it brings a smile to my face to look back oh. at, my, at my last season. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. Wow. PR in the last race of your profession. Do you, did you go on and race more? I did. I did go on and race like um, and all that thing. And, and yeah. that's when I started to feel like the desire is not, I'm kind of, uh -huh. yeah, it's not there. And, and I had people, when I announced the retirement, I had people writing me, well, just take a little break. Maybe it'll come back. <laughs> you know, maybe that desire will come back, but um, I'm very, honest with myself like you said earlier the 800 meter is deep deep it, it I mean <laughs> it's deep and so uh, if there's even an inkling of me not being all in then I just might I'm just gonna I'm gonna you know right. and, and it, I still wasn't quite there when it came to come back to training um for the fall that following year I just I didn't have it. And I told my coaches and they were shocked, but at the, at the end of the day, it had to be my decision. So. Mm. Wow. What a successful career though. You feel good. I do. I do. I, I, I'm, it was, I love your, it's been a roller coaster. I know. Right. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> it's a good, good ending. It's a good ending. It is. It is. It almost didn't happen. I, I, I right? almost, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it makes me smile. Mm -hmm. I still watch that race sometimes. <laughs> oh, I want to go watch it now. I'm going to watch it now. I don't even remember who got fourth, who made the team. I don't even remember, obviously a thing, but like, I don't remember yeah. anything else. <laughs> um, I'm curious your thoughts now you've been done. Were super spikes like weren't a thing when you were still running, were they? Like, were they in two years ago? 
they like had just made their their I guess debut. So I you know, I mostly talk to marathoners, and so like talk to super shoes, but like super spikes, I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. It. I think um, the first time I wore them, I was like, this is weird. Like, I, <laughs> you know, it did. It took some getting used to. Then they just became like the norm. Like, yeah. If you were kind of weird for not wearing them, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Um, Did you feel like it made a big difference? Of course, I want to believe not, <laughs> but I do. <laughs> I do think that they, they just give a little extra bounce, at least for okay. me. Okay. Okay. Gave a little bit of extra like oomph in my step okay. <laughs> in my stride. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, you have to wear them if everybody yeah. else is wearing them. You have to. <laughs> that was kind of the thought, right? So. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So right now in your life, you are also doing like training clinics and stuff. And you, you mentioned you and Akeem want to start doing more of these. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's a bit easier in my hometown because again, I do have the sponsor and they help with all the logistics and I'm a little bit more well known here. So the kids Mm -hmm. come out and they're excited. So we're just trying to get our name out there in Charlotte and, and, um, get the help with the sponsorship to put on these clinics and um, get people to show up. So we're, we're taking our time with it so that it is a success, but it definitely is our desire to, to do that in, in our community in Charlotte. Oh, I love that. What we'll wrap up here within a podcast. What is something professionally or personally that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? I would say write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been in the back of my mind for a while now. Um, and Akeem's always saying it, you know, he's written several. So <laughs> um, I think it's just a matter of just, do people really want that kind of like insecurity? Do people really want to hear my story? But um, he's always like, Chanel, if it, if it helps one person, then that's mm-hmm. enough, you know? So yeah. just remembering that. And then just the discipline to write every day <laughs> when life is lifing, it's like to make time for that is hard. So um, just got to sit down and do it. What is the best, most recent book you've read? Um, I've been reading, like, instead of scrolling on social media, I downloaded the Kindle app to my book, uh, to yes. my phone. And yes. so I've just been finding random books. And um, the last one I read, I don't even remember the author, but it was called The Perfect Family. And it was, okay. I, I, I'm learning that I like, like, murder mysteries. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, was it Sherry Lapina? I don't think so. Okay. That sounds like a title of one of her, would be a title of one of her books. And they're kind of murdery mystery type books. Page yeah. turners. Yes. It's like a, I'm up at night because I can't put it down. And I, I finished this one in like a day. It seems like you're ridiculous. <laughs> I want a book like that. I'm reading the Poisonwood Bible right now and it is like good, but it is not a page turner. And it's one of those books where I'm like, you know, so many people have been like, this is my favorite book. It's so good but it's thick and it is just like, it's not a page turn turner. Like the the stuff in it I think is good, but it's like, okay, like I just want to get done, but I'm not going to give it up, you know? So when I finish this, I'm going straight to a page turner. Yes. Yes. Do it. (laughs) Um, If you could have coffee, tea or cocktail with someone fun, motivating or inspiring, who would it be? I would say Viola Davis. I mean, Davis. Yeah. If she's anything like she is in her shows and her movies, (laughs) I just want to be around her. (laughs) She seems awesome. So, does she have a book? 
That's a good question. Now I want to know. I'll what is what is up. the show? Is it murders? Um, how to get away with murder? How to get is that good? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, I got to watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your last message to leave with our audience? I would say, you are enough. Mm. Like you're enough, despite what you do, despite what you have or don't have. Like just you are enough because God says you're enough and to just walk in that and remember that. Um, Yeah, that'd be my last message. Chanel Price, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is great. All right, friends. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Chanel, for coming on the podcast. Fellow North Carolina friend now. You can follow Chanel on Instagram. She's Run over there. You can find me. I'm lindsayhine626 on Instagram. And we'd love to have you check out our website, sandyboyproductions.com, where you can learn about all the shows in this network, including my lifestyle podcast for parents called Why Is Everyone Yelling? We also have a podcast about holistic nutrition called The Urban Pharmacy. We have a podcast hosted by a DO and a physical therapist all about running injuries and staying healthy. They also do some interviews over there. And then we have the Illuminate podcast, which is a great podcast sharing stories of people doing really great work in the the world. Check it out at sandyboyproductions.com. All right, friends, thanks for being here. And we'll see you next week on All Have Another.